It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. Also getting you set up for weekends events, which is known as Friday Night Lights. That's right, resonating from my own personal studio. That's right, it is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast with your favorite host and conductor with the number one podcast throughout the state of Kansas. Yes, I haven't compiled any statistics or rankings on that. I'm just calling it as the number one podcast in all the state. Kansas because I bring you what you want to hear. So that's what I am going to do. All right. So we got the housekeeping out of the way. Uh, a lot of action to get to. It, it seems like I'm lagging behind. There's a chance that I am as I am currently transitioning between jobs. Also have a waiting date coming up October the 15th. Those of you who are listening, yes, your boy here is getting married October the 15th and looking forward to it, getting excited, looking forward to the new job. So there's a lot going on, which is kind of pushing things back, but I try not to skip a beat on the high school scene and steady pushing for some local advertisers uh, because I believe that as you listen to this podcast, most of you are probably probably within the 316 area code or close by. I know there's a few out of state because some of y'all listen to it, but lo- looking locally, the reason I have to bring the high school stores to you because a lot of it is local and throughout the state of Kansas. And I'm looking at getting local businesses to advertise. As a matter of fact, I'm working with one right now, which is why I'm, I'm playing the commercial spot even before a deal is made because I feel like this. If you're listening, if you're in the local area, if you're listening to a local podcaster like me, chances are you will also buy local. So got all that out the way. So let's just go ahead and get on into what took place last week. So we can get you ready for this week. Matter of fact, what I'm going to do is, even before I get to the stores, I am going to give you the rankings of each class. And these rankings are as of September the 26th. So these rankings are basically from the previous week leading up into Friday night's game. In 6A, number one, you're looking at Manhattan. Last week, they were also number one with a 4-0 record. Coming in at number two is Derby. Number three, Wichita Northwest. 
Coming in number four with the four and no record is Old Lake North. Number five, Blue Valley Northwest at two and two. Last week, they was ranked number three, so they took a little dip in the rankings. Number six, to a three and one record, is Junction City, who climbed into the rankings after not being ranked. Number seven, Washburn Rural at three and one. They were five last week, but they took a dip in the rankings. Also climbing into the rankings, these next two teams, number eight, Olathe North at three and one, and Lawrence at three and one. Uh, dropping one spot from number nine to number 10, Gardner Edgerton coming in at the 10th spot. Teams that dropped out of the rankings, Blue Valley West, Wichita East, and Garden City. How things played out, Manhattan knocked off previously unbeaten Washburn Rural to hold on to the top spot in the 6A rankings. They narrowed 28-25 win. Derby needed another comeback to hold on to the number two spot, this time handing Hutch its first loss. Junction City makes a big leap into the sixth spot after winning at Bishop Carroll. Olathe South and Lawrence both make their return to the top ten. Notable games, number 10, Gardner Edgerton at number four, Olathe North. Blue Valley at number five, Blue Valley Northwest. Number six, Junction City at number seven, Washburn Rural. And number eight, Olathe South at number five. At at 5A, number one, Mill Valley. So that's the 6A versus the 5A right there. Now we look at the class 5A rankings. And we just mentioned coming in number one with a 4-0 record is Mill Valley. Number two, still undefeated for an old maze. Number coming in number three with a three-one record, jumping up from the five spot is Hayes. Coming in at number four, holding on to that number four ranking, even with the loss last week to Derby, is the Hutch Salthawks coming in with a three-one record. Coming in at number five is number number five is DeSoto with a three-one record, moving up from the sixth spot. Coming in at number six, moving up from the seventh spot is May South with a three and one record. Dropping down to the seventh spot after being ranked number three, two and two, Bishop Carroll. Coming in at number two, jumping up one spot from number nine is Cape and Mount Carmel with a two and two record as well. Uh, jumping up from the tenth spot is number nine, Highland Park with an undefeated four and zero record. And the number ten team after not being ranked. Shawnee Heights at 3-1. Dropped out and over. Falling for a second straight week, Bishop Carroll takes a slight tumble to the seventh spot. Hayes moves into the top three for the first time after a road win at then unbeaten Garden City. Highland Park is now 4-0 for the first time since 1995. Their most wins in a season since 2004. The Scots were winless, were winless since 2014 prior to this season. Shawnee Heights enter the rank, enters the rankings after a shutout of 3-0, Baser Linwood. Notable games to take in. Number at 6A, number 8, Olathe South at number 1, Mill Valley. Number 2, Mays is at number 6, Mays South. So there is an in-town rivalry right there. Two ranked teams in the same town. Number 5, DeSoto at number 10, Shawnee Heights. Number nine, Highland Park at Lincoln Prep, Missouri. And Salina Central is at Valley Central. So that's your 5A rankings and games of note to take in. Um, in Class 4A, 
moving up from the number two spot, undefeated for an old Bishop Miage. Dropping to the number two spot, even with a one and three record. Actually, after not being ranked, they are still ranked number two with a one and three record. And I guess that's because of a brutal schedule would be St. James Academy. Coming in at number three is three and one Aquinas, which dropped from number one to number three. A team that's still treading along at four and oh. However, they dropped from the three spot to the four spot. Still with an undefeated record intact, Chanute at 4-0. Also at 4-0, after being ranked number four a week ago, it dropped down to the fifth spot, Lamego. Number six is Eudora with a 4-0 record, dropping to the fifth spot. And dropping from the fifth spot to the sixth spot. And dropping from the sixth spot to the seventh spot is McPherson, those bullpups at 3-1. Number eight, holding steady at the number eight position. Andover Central at three and one. Coming in at number nine after being moving up from the tenth spot is Lewisburg at three and one. Dropping from the seventh spot to the tenth spot is Baser Linwood at three and one. Teams that dropped out would be Circle. St. James makes a huge leap from the outside of the polls to number two after a win over previous number one acquaintance. The defending champion, Thunder, previously fell to a pair of 6A schools in a new number one, the age. Baser Linwood just hangs on to the 10th spot after its loss to Shawnee Heights, with Circle narrowly missing after the T-Birds fell for the first time at McPherson. Notable games. Number one, Bishop Me Age at Blue Valley. St. Pius X, Missouri at number two, St. James. Aquinas at Rockhurst, Missouri. Coffeeville at number five, Omega. Number nine, Lewisburg at number six, Eudora. Goddard at number eight, and over Central. Now we look at the 3A rankings. Number one, Andale, 4 0 record. Coming in also with the number four, no record, with a 4 0 record, and number two, Collegiate. Also with a 4 0 record, coming in number three, Topeka Hayden. Coming in with a 3 1 record, holding the Four spot down is Holton with a 3-1 record. Coming in at the number five spot with a 4-0 record, Gerard. Coming in with a 3-1 record, holding down the sixth spot, Rock Creek. Number seven with the 4-0 record, Wellsville. So pretty much teams one through seven, they held their rankings. Eight, nine, and ten might be a little bit different. Coming in at number eight, Moving up from the nine spot is Holcomb with a 4-0 record. Coming in at number nine, moving up from the 10th spot with a 4-0 record is Hugleton. Hugleton, and after not being ranked, coming into the rankings with a 4-0 record, number 10, Parsons. Pratt is the team that dropped out. Pratt is the lone team to fall after losing to Cheney last Friday night. Cardinals and Greenbacks both sit just outside the top 10. Parsons 4-0 for the first time since 1990 makes his debut to the polls in the 10th spot. Scott City also narrowly misses out after a road win at TMP. That was top. That was, let me go back. Scott City also narrowly misses out after a road win at TMP. Let me try this again. Scott City also narrowly misses after a road win at TMP. TMP team 
that was top five in 2A. There we got that out the way. Notable games in 3A. Number seven, Wellsville at Bishop Ward. Number nine, Hugleton at Scott City. Pratt at Poisonton. Now we look at 2A. Number one, Southeast of Saline with a 4-0 record. Number two, Nemaha Central also with a 4-0 record. Number three, Kingman with a 4-0 record. Number four, Norton, 4-0. Number five, a little town I've happened to have had the chance to go to, Council Grove. They do play football there. They have a nice little stadium there. Number five, Council Grove with a 4-0 record. Jumps into the rankings after not being ranked. So that's a mighty jump to going not, from going to not rank to being ranked number five. Also with a 4-0 record, number six, Ellsworth, they jump up two spots from the eighth spot. Coming in number seven, Osage City at 3-1. They jumped up from the ninth spot. Coming in at number eight with a 2-2 record after being number, after being ranked number six, they took a dive in the pole would be Silver Lake. Jumping up one spot from the 10th spot is Rossville with a 2-2 record. And after being ranked number five, you have Hayes TMP. Three and one. Humboldt dropped out of the rankings. Winning a battle of unbeatens over Humboldt, Council Grove makes a big splash to slide into five spot of this week's poll. The Braves were coming off a one-win season and are out to their best start in six seasons. Ellsworth also takes advantage of losses ahead of them, bumping up to sixth with his own 4-0 start. Silver Lake and Rossville both remain ranked despite two and two starts ahead of this week's war on 24 matchup. Notable games, Clay Center at number one, Southeast of Saline, number three, Kingman at Heston, number five, Council Grove at West Franklin, number nine, Rossville at number eight, Silver Lake. Class 1A, coming in number one, 4-0, Inman, number two, Coming in at 4-0, Centralia. Coming in at number three, still undefeated, Touch Trinity. They moved up from the five spot. Moving up two spots from the sixth spot, coming in number four with a 3-1 record is Colgan. Coming in number five, moving up two spots from seven, St. Mary's with a 2-2 two two record. Team that was in the fourth spot dropped down to the sixth spot with a 3-1 record, Troy. Moving up three spots from the 10th spot to number seven is Wabonsi with a 3-1 record. Also, moving up one spot from the ninth spot, OP with a 2-2 two two record. And at the number nine spot with the 2-2 two two record, dropping from number three, Smith Center. And rounding out that top 10, after being not ranked, just getting into the rankings, is Jayhawk Lynn with a 4-0 record. Jackson Heights is the team that dropped out. Centralia came up with a key one-point win over Troy in an unbeaten matchup to secure number two ranking. Wabonsi made a furious comeback to top Smith Center and rise in this week's poll. Jayhawk Lynn enters the rankings after a 4-0 start. Notable games, number three, Hutch Trinity at number one, Inman. Number two, Centralia at Jackson Heights. And Oakley at number nine, Smith Center. And now we bring you the rankings of Eight-man Division One coming in at number one is Meade, four and zero. Also at four and zero, Hill City, 
coming in at number three with a 4-0 record, Wichita County. Coming in at number four, the 3-1 record, Little River. Coming in at number five with a 4-0 record. Moving up from the sixth spot, appears to be Linden with a 4-0 record. Coming in at number six, moving up from the seventh spot, would be South Sumner. Book coming in at number seven, jumping two spots from the number nine spot, before an old Berlin game. Number eight, at three and one, Clifton Clyde. Number nine, Chase County, both teams with three and one record. And after not being ranked, making their debut in the rankings this year, number 10, Maxville with a four and old record. Argonia Attica is the team that dropped out of the rankings. The biggest win of the week goes to Berlin game, who went to second rank. Chase County came away with a 26-24 win over the Bulldogs. Hill City and Wichita County reached their highest rankings of the year. Maxville enters the poll ranking A&A, A&A's loss to that would be Argonia Attica's loss to Burden Central. Notable games, number five, Linden at Madison. Kyra Caravelle at number seven, Burlingame. Number 10, Maxville at Nest City. Wichita Independent at Argonia Attica. Now we would take you to eight-man division two. Coming in number one with an undefeated record is Axtell. Number two with an undefeated record at 4-0, Panton Galva. Coming in also at number four with the number with the number three ranking is Victoria. Number at a also with a 4-0 record, coming in at number four is Dighton. Number five ranking is held down by South Barber, also with a 4-0 record. So the top five remain unscathed. Coming in at number six, Thunder Ridge with a three and one record. Coming in at number seven, moving up from the nine spot with a four and one record is Mineola. Coming in at number eight, holding steady, St. John's Tipton with a four and one record. And after not being ranked, coming in at the number nine spot with a three and one record is Osborne. And round out the top 10, also getting into the rankings after not being ranked with the 4-0 record, number 10, Stafford. Buckland and Lakeside are the teams that dropped out. The top six spots sit unchanged, but a pair of losses shifts rankings at the bottom. Mineola topped Buckland to move up to the seventh spot, while Osborne won big against 3-0 Lakeside to return to the rankings. Stafford sits at 4-0 for the first time in eight seasons and moves into the poll at number 10. Notable games, number six, Thunder Ridge at Lakeside, number nine, Osborne at number eight, St. John's Tipton, and Hodgman County at Buckland. And to round this out with the rankings, we're also going to finish out with six men. Coming in number one with an undefeated 4-0 record is Cunningham. Coming in number two with a 3-1 record is Ashland. Coming in at number three with a 4-0 record, Waverly. Coming in at number four with a 3-1 record. Moving up two spots to number six would be Shalin with a 3-1 record. Coming in at number five, dropping one spot from number four would be 3-1 Tescott. Coming in at number six, moving up one spot from the seventh spot would be Northern Valley with a 2-2 record. Moving up Two spots from number nine to number seven would be Ingles with a three and one record. Holding steady at the number eight spot with a two and two record is number is uh, number eight Natoma. Dropping down from the fifth spot to number nine would be two and one Moscow. Number ten 
would be 3-1 Burton. No teams dropped out of the rankings. Cunningham showed why they are number one. Blanking an unbeaten Tescott team on the road for the Trojans' first loss in six-man. Chelan won a great game over Northern Valley to move up to the fourth spot. Notable games, number 10, Burton, at number five, Tescott. So, there, I hope, with me giving you the rankings, I hope that gets you set for some Friday night football. As now you know what games to prepare for in your area, games of note, games of interest, as we will bring you the scoreboard show on Saturday. That is after I get back from my grandson's football game that starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. So, yes, I'm just going to have to uh, adjust my sleeping schedule for tonight. But I tell you what, if you stay put, I promise you, I will be back with some more news. The train is just now building up ahead of steam. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Don't you dare go nowhere. Right back. Smith. It's time for us all to grow together. So, if you would like to have your ad ran on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, simply reach out to me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com or at 316-553-2010. Or, if you would like to sponsor a segment, you can also reach me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com or 316-553-2010. So let's grow together. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Mr. Max Market, formerly known as P&P, is fully stocked for all your grocery needs. We carry the largest selection of hot links in Wichita, including the world-famous Oklahoma links from Mountain View and Rogers, Kansas links from Yoder, Colorado links from Gold Star as well as national brands such as Siegel and Dietz. Our meat department stocks ribs, pork butts, pork chops, brisket, hams, chicken, hamburger meat, oxtails, buffalo fish, whole catfish and fillets, and much more. In season, we stock hard-to-find produce such as red, yellow, orange, and purple meat watermelon, cantaloupe, melons, tomatoes, corn, greens, okra, and more. We have a huge selection of fish fry, seasonings, sauces, and rubs including the full lines of Louisiana and Slap Ya Mama products. In addition, we have all grocery staples including flour, sugar, bread, butter, cheese, snacks, milk, and goods, candy, snacks, and drinks. Hi! 
This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! All right. Welcome in to my live podcast, right? I am live, and I want to introduce somebody to y'all. I'm catching her totally off guard. She's going to hate me for this, but she might love me for this, too. I just want to introduce to y'all who are listening my fiance, wife to be in 16 days. I am very excited about that, too. So what I want to do is I want to bring a very beautiful lady on just to say hi, and then she's going to bust at me later when we're in private. Welcome to my podcast the very beautiful Linda Hayes. Hey, lovely Linda, how are you doing today? Very. I'm doing just fine. I just want to introduce people, introduce you to people that may be listening. I don't have that big of an audience, so you don't have to worry about thousands of people hearing this, but then again, who knows? I might get a lot of listeners on this because now people are like, oh, we knew he was getting married, but now we get to hear the voice of the one that keeps the smile on his face. How you doing, lovely? Yes, y'all, that's the name that she calls me, and y'all cannot call me that. I had to put that out there. Yes, I am doing a podcast, but I just want to introduce the most beautiful lady in my life. I am very elated be able to call her my wife in 16 days. Right now, she is the fiance. Some people say she's the finance. <laughs> yeah, I just want to do that real quick. Just want to get you out here so you can say hi to everybody. and a Nice introduction. To, and I know there are probably some people in the area that will be at the wedding. So now y'all get to hear the voice. Not behind the man, but the voice beside the man that makes him go. So, Linda, I want to thank I want to thank you for being on here briefly, and I will call you back later. So don't get too far from your phone. I have to tell you this: make sure your phone is on where you can hear it. <laughs> All right, thanks for being a brief surprise guest on the show. We'll get back with you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was Linda Hayes. That's who I will be getting married to. I want to do that real briefly before we get into some more serious and deep uh, sport news. And uh, I am going to go ahead and start this off just like this.
Wow. That is a lot to take in. So the first thing I'm going to pose is this before I get into a story that also has ties to this. Some of you may remember the name Marcus Dupree. So hold on before we get there because there's more to this story. But what I'm going to ask is this, because this has been the ongoing debate. Should Pete Rose be allowed into the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to preface it like this. If Brett Favre is found guilty, and right now it's not looking good, especially when you have a higher up in the government official saying, I'm too old to do federal time. If Brett Favre is not stripped of his gold Hall of Fame jacket, then damn it, you have to let Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame. Bottom line. Some of you may agree with me and some of you may not agree. But right is only right. If Brett Favre gets to maintain his Hall of Fame status and gets to keep his gold jacket, and his bust, then somewhere along the way, Major League Baseball has to say, let bygones be bygones. Pete Rose hasn't done nothing wrong since betting on baseball games. You have to let the man in. Heck, let's even go back even a little bit farther, but not too far back. Reggie Bush had to give up his Heisman Trophy. That being said, if Brett Favre is guilty, and based on those who have pled guilty to this scandalous welfare fraud, then Brett Favre needs to be stripped. If not, then maybe you should reconsider NCAA, giving Reggie Bush back his Heisman Trophy, Major League Baseball. Maybe you should consider, maybe it's time to let Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame. But I pose the question, do you remember Marcus Dupree? I'm pretty sure that name has been forgotten by a lot of people because he has such an illustrious career, but then injuries caught up with him and his pro career was cut short as you can see lightning flash. Mississippi football legend Marcus Dupree denies allegations of wrongdoing in welfare fraud case. Yes, he's linked to this as well. Marcus Dupree, who rose to fame in Mississippi, and beyond after a brief but impressive football career that became the subject of an ESPN documentary is speaking out about his alleged role in a sprawling welfare fraud case that has also entangled Hall of Fame NFL quarterback Brett Favre and dozens of others. A lawsuit filed in May by the Mississippi Department of Human Services alleges Dupree was illegally paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in federal welfare money that was intended for the state's neediest families. On Wednesday, Dupree denied wrongdoing in an interview with ESPN. I don't appreciate being lumped into something like I took money, Dupree said. I worked too hard on my reputation to do the right thing and be the right person, and I don't like what's going on. Dupree, 58, grew up in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where his highlight real-worthy performances as a high school running back made him the most sought-after football recruit in the country. Dupree was a standout in his freshman season at the University of Oklahoma in 1982. But his career was ultimately hampered by injuries. 
His football journey was profiled in a 2010 ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The Best That Never Was. During his post-playing days, Dupree maintained local celebrity status within his home state, frequently appearing at public functions or events staged through his foundation. But his name didn't appear with any frequency in the national media until the results of a state audit in Mississippi became public and a lawsuit was then filed by the state in May against Dupree, his foundation, and dozens of others, other defendants. According to the lawsuit from August 2017 to September 2019, Dupree was paid $371,000 in temporary assistance for needy families, TANF funds. A Mississippi Department of Human Services initiative called Families First for Mississippi, run by two nonprofits, illegally funneled the federal welfare money to Dupree. The lawsuit states in exchange for his work as a celebrity endorser and motivational speaker. An investigation by Mississippi Today was the first to reveal that the nonprofits that paid Dupree and others misspent or stole at least $77 million in welfare funds in what's considered the worst public corruption case in the state history. Dupree told ESPN he was shocked when he learned that Nancy New, the head of one of the nonprofits, the Mississippi Community Education Center, had pleaded guilty to 13 felony counts of bribery, fraud, and racketeering. Dupree said he was not aware the money New had used to pay him had come from misappropriated welfare funds. According to a 2019 state audit, Dupree was paid in part for equine assisted learning, which Mississippi State's Mississippi State Auditor Chad White told ESPN meant teaching people how to ride horses. White said his office found limited evidence. Dupree or anyone else ever delivered those sorts of services to the needy. But Dupree insists he did mentor teens at his 15-acre horse farm in Flora, Mississippi. I mentored the kids through the horses by having responsibility, cleaning the stalls, and if you get good with that, I let you ride a horse. Most of the parents just wanted them to be around me. I'm passionate about what we did, and for the state to be talking about Oh, none of that happened. Yes, it did, Dupree said. Dupree said he couldn't quantify how many times he mentored teens at his horse farm, but he says over the, over the roughly two-year period, he was paid by the state to also, who state he also made 20 to 30 appearances working as a liaison for Families First, traveling Mississippi, traveling Mississippi to speak in prisons and schools and recording radio commercials. I was all over the state. I signed a contract and did my job, Dupree said. Dupree provided ESPN several photos of what appear to be teenage boys, whom he says he mentored at his stable in Florida, as well as photos from numerous public appearances. If Mr. Dupree would like to, uh, to argue that the amounts he was paid were reasonably justified for the number of speeches given, and can show proof of the speeches, he will be able to make that argument in a court, White said. On April 13, 2018, Dupree's foundation purchased the horse farm 
in residence in Florida where the pre lives for $855,000. The five bedroom, 41 square foot home is valued at just over $1 million, according to the real estate website Zillow. According to an audit conducted by White's office, $171,000 in TANF money was used as the down payment toward the Breeze home and surrounding property. White told ESPN such purchases would be unallowable because of the prohibition against purchasing real estate with TANF funds. He also noted the unreasonableness of using federal welfare money intended for job training and assistance for needy families to help purchase a five-bedroom home and a horse farm for a state-contracted employee. The nonprofit that funneled the money to Dupree went as far as to guarantee the residents through the bank with a six-year lease from April 1, 2018 through March 31, 2024. According to the state audit, the monthly lease payments for the property totaled 9,500, the audit states. Dupree said he had no intentions of paying the state back as White's office has demanded. I have a lawyer and I'm just waiting to see how it all pans out, Dupree said. In October, 2021, Dupree's lawyer, J. Matthew Eckelberger, sent a sharply worded letter to White. Neither Mr. Dupree nor his foundation will be making any payment in response to your demand. Make no mistake, Mr. Dupree earned the money he was paid, and he never had any reason to believe the money was being improperly spent by officials, Eckelberger wrote. To date, six people have have been indicted depending welfare fraud case. Five have pleaded pleaded guilty. Brett Favre is not among those facing, let's say it again, Brett Favre is not among those facing criminal charges, but like Dupree, he remains a defendant in the ongoing civil lawsuit filed by the state of Mississippi in May. Text messages show he pressured Bill Bryant, a former Mississippi governor, to obtain $5 million in funds to help build a new volleyball center at his alma mater, the University of Southern Mississippi, where his daughter played the sport. Favre has denied wrongdoing. Dupree said negative press involving Favre in recent months has damaged his own reputation. I'm getting lumped in with whatever Brett Favre and the governor had going on. I didn't even know about that. Nothing. I was shocked when I heard it. I can't wait until we go to court. I don't know what Brett did. I can only speak for Marcus. So, we haven't heard nothing from Marcus Dupree in Lord knows over 20, 30 years. And now this comes out. So what is your taking on, what is your thinking on this whole situation with what's going on in the state of Mississippi with some of these high-profile people such as Marcus Dupree and Hall of Famer Brett Favre? Like I said, I'm opposed to I'm opposed to question. It will most likely be my poll question. If Brett Favre is found guilty, should he be stripped of his Hall of Fame jacket? You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your host, conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. I will have some more coming up for you on the other side of this break. So, once again, don't you dare go nowhere because the train is yet still 
picking up ahead of steam. That's right, number one podcast throughout the state of Kansas. Once again, your host, your favorite conductor, Anthony Smith on the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to another segment of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I want to thank my brief guest, Pino. Hope you found some insight on that last segment. As now we shift into the NFL. Namely, at the center of this controversy, it's quarterback laid on the turf for nearly 12 minutes and the NFLPA is outraged and I must say rightfully so anyone who saw the game between Miami and Cincinnati saw a scary moment one that is in question should he have even played the game That's right. Tua Tagovailoa, as of now, is in concussion protocol with no timetable for his return. Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel has combed through the events leading up to Tua Tagovailoa's injury Thursday night several times, right down to his own play call. But he's not second-guessing how the team handled Tugger Viola throughout the week. Tugger Viola was taken to a hospital Thursday after hitting his head on the turf while being sacked by Cincinnati Bengals nose tackle John Tupa in the second quarter. He remained on the turf for roughly 12 minutes before he was carted off the field on a stretcher and eventually taken to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center with a concussion and neck injury. He was diagnosed with a concussion and is in the protocol with no timetable for a return, according to the Dolphins. Tucker Viola took to Twitter to thank everyone for their support and said he's feeling much better. The injury occurred four days after a similar incident during Miami's game against game Sunday against the Buffalo Bills in which Tucker Viola hit the back of his head on the ground and was evaluated for a concussion. The Dolphins faced widespread criticism on social media for allowing Tucker Viola to return to the game as well as skepticism 
from the NFL Players Association, which after Sunday's game initiated its right to request a review of the NFL's concussion protocol. NFL PA President J.C. Treader tweeted Friday that he is outraged by what has happened to Tucker Viola. We are all outraged by what we have seen the last several days and scared for the safety of one of our brothers, Treader said. What everyone saw both both Sunday and last night were no-go symptoms within our concussion protocol. Protocols exist to protect the player, and that is why we initiated an investigation. Our job as the NFLPA is to take every possible measure to get the facts and hold those responsible accountable. We need to figure out how and why the decisions were made last Sunday to allow a player with a no-go symptom back on the field. But the Dolphins said Tucker Viola passed multiple concussion evaluations, including one at halftime of the Bills game and each day leading up to Thursday's game. According to NFL Chief Medical Officer Alan Seals, we have 100% conviction in our process regarding our players, McDaniel said. This is a player-friendly organization, and I make it very clear from the onset that my job here is for the players. I take that very seriously. No one in the building strays from that. If there would have been anything lingering with his head, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I prematurely put someone out there and put them in harm's way. This is the relationship that I have with this human being. I take that serious. I wouldn't have put him out there if there was any indication, any inclination given to me whatsoever that he was endangering himself from that previous game. Contrary to Miami's previous game, when Tucker Viola was taken directly to the locker room from the field, McDaniel had a chance to interact with his quarterback before he was stretched off the field. He said he knew essentially right away that Tucker Viola had a concussion and hoped that it wasn't anything more. Obviously, I was very worried about his head, but you're wanting to make sure that all things with relation to the spine and back and all that stuff, you want to make sure that's okay, McDaniel said. It's very clear to me from the onset that he had. I didn't really know the degree of it, but I knew he had a concussion. He was asking for me when he saw me. I could just tell it wasn't the same guy that I'm used to seeing. After the game, McDaniel told the team Tucker Viola would be traveling back to Miami with them. It was galvanizing news to a locker room that was somber beyond the scope of a normal loss. All of his teammates were so elated. I mean, this was a scary, scary situation for all of us, McDaniel said. I'm sure you could tell by his teammates' body language and everyone that was on the field. It was something that did not just go away once the game restarted. All of his teammates were absolutely elated to see him on the plane. He was elated. It brought him some joy, which was good to see. It's one of the reasons you get into team sports. Dolphins continue to face criticism for the handling of the 24-year-old, but McDaniel insists every step of the NFL's concussion protocol was followed. He said he understands the optics of the entire situation, but can speak with 100% conviction that every person in the Dolphins building adhered to a process that is clear, contrite, and not something that is negotiable in any way, shape, or form. I had no worries whatsoever. I'm in steady communication with this guy day in and day out, McDaniel said Friday. We're talking about high-level football conversations 
about progressions and defenses and recalling stuff from two weeks previous and then him having to reiterate a 15-word play call. All things, absolutely no signs. There was no medical indication from all resources that there was anything regarding the head. Beyond an eyeball test, which I know for a fact you guys would not be very comfortable if I was just relying on that. I mean, it's the reason why we have tests. He did not have a head injury. So guys hit their heads all the time. And that's why I was adamant that he was evaluated for having a head injury and he did not have one. And when I tell you he was in complete mental concert, talking to us through it, and then he played the whole game, and then he did a press conference, and then he did media all week. If I were to sit someone for a medical issue going against medical people abstractly, then when do I play him again? Veteran quarterback Teddy Bridgewater finished the game in Tugabiola's place, and McDaniel confirmed Bridgewater will be the starter moving forward while Tugabiola is out. Seeing Tugabiola leave Thursday's game was a tough sight for many around the league. Coach John Harbaugh, who's Baltimore Ravens, lost to the Dolphins in week two, said the whole situation was unbelievable. Like probably most people, I couldn't believe what I saw that last night. I couldn't believe that I saw, I couldn't believe what I saw last Sunday. It was just something that was astonishing to see, Harbaugh said Friday. I've been coaching for 40 years now, college, in the NFL, almost 40, and I've never seen anything like it before. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. A lot of times players want to play, and sometimes you just have to tell them no, no, has to be the answer. Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts expressed concern for his former college teammate. I think it's a scary moment for anybody to be in that type of disposition, Hurts said Friday. McDaniel reiterated multiple times that he had not considered any sort of timetable when it comes to Tug of Viola's return. He said Tug of Viola underwent an MRI on Friday. The team would take it day by day as far as what would be asked of him while in concussion protocol. If there's any indication that traveling to and from the facility isn't what's best for him, the Dolphins will not ask him to do so until it is. I literally have no timetable or even thought to it. That's where I would feel irresponsible is even thinking about it, he said. I want him to get all the evaluations possible. I want him to do... I want him to do all the things recommended from all of the medical counterparts. And I want him to go get on the road to recovery from that as a human being, and then we'll cross that bridge. But in terms of a timetable of crossing that bridge, I have no idea. So now, here's another question. Should Tua Tagovailoa have even played in Thursday night's game? We hear the claims from Miami. We hear what Coach McDaniel had to say. Should he have sat out? I know that whatever we think, whatever we say, won't change what happened Thursday night. But do the NFLPA have a legitimate complaint? I rightfully think that they do have a legitimate complaint. 
Do I think he should have been playing? Yes, he may have looked good, but it was just that one more hit that did him in. Maybe hindsight, as they say, is 2020. Maybe he should have sat. Moving on to some more news. Sources say investigation found Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka used cruel, used crude language in dialogue with female subordinate prior to start of improper relationship. The independent law firm probed into Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka found that he used crude language in his dialogue with a female subordinate prior to the start of an improper workplace relationship with the woman, an element that significantly factored into the severity of his one-year suspension, source code ESPN. Those investigative findings, which describe verbiage on Yudoka's part that was deemed especially concerning coming from a workplace superior, contribute to what is likely a difficult pathway back to his reinstatement as Celtics coach in 2023, sources told ESPN. The power dynamic associated with a superior's improper relationship with a staff member was the primary finding and policy violation cited in the law firm's report, which was commissioned by the Celtics and completed early last week, sources said. At a news conference last week, Celtics owner Wire Grousback said the suspension, which extends through June 30, 2023, was a product of multiple violations of team policies. And sources told ESPN the Celtics won't stand in Udoka's way should he have the chance to become a coaching candidate elsewhere. There are teams that have tried to gather a preliminary understanding of the full explanation for Udoka's suspension in preparation for for possibly evaluating him for future coaching employment, sources told ESPN. In his first, Grousback also said Yudoka would be receiving a cut in his salary during the suspension. In his first season, Yudoka, 45, led the Celtics to an Eastern Conference Championship NBA Finals berth where Boston lost in six games to the Golden State Warriors. The Celtics returned a team expected, again, to be a championship favorite, and Yudoka had appeared destined for a long runway as the franchise coach replacing Brad Stevens, who moved into the front office role previously occupied by Danny Ainge during the 2021 offseason. Grousebeck said during the news conference that no one else within the organization faced discipline as a result of the investigation. The Celtics wouldn't confirm the nature of the violations, but Stevens, the team's president of basketball operations, became emotional when describing the number of women employed by the Celtics who were targeted by unfounded social media rumors and allegations. The Celtics promoted assistant coach Joe Mazzula to interim coach for the upcoming season. Mazzula, 34, is well regarded inside the Celtics organization and counts Stevens among his most significant supporters. Mazzula was a finalist for the Utah Jazz head coaching job over the summer that went to top Celtics assistant Will Hardy. Grossbeck and Stevens would not elaborate on the criteria Udoka would need to meet to return to coaching the Celtics following his suspension. Grossbeck defended the Celtics' decision to suspend Udoka for the entire season, insisting 
It was the proper response based on the probe's findings. This felt right, but there's no clear guideline for, for any of this, he said. It's, it's conscious and gut feel. We collectively came to this and get and got there, but it was not clear what to do, but it was clear something substantial needed to be done, and it was. So there you have the situation concerning Ime Udoka and his one-year suspension. So here's another question for you. Did the Celtics handle the situation right? When you look at a lot of things that have gone on in the NBA, when Cleveland Cavaliers, not Cleveland, when the LA Clippers owner had to sell his team because of disparaging racial remarks. Then you have the situation with Phoenix where the team owner decided, well, you know what, I guess I'm going to go ahead and sell not only just the Phoenix Suns, but also sell the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury because of some very distasteful remarks where the Players Association spoke up and said something has to be done. He has to either be removed or he has to sell. And based on the pressure received, he ended up selling the team. So do you think the Boston Celtics sound is right? Is a one-year suspension a fair enough punishment? And should he be allowed to coach the Celtics again? Well, I'm getting ready to pull this train into the station. I hope you have enjoyed today's podcast. Brought you some local, brought you some national. And the train is just going to continue to build up ahead of steam. Tomorrow, I will be bringing back the scoreboard show, the Kansas High School Football Scoreboard Show is what I think I'm going to name it. So, I hope you have a very enjoyable weekend. Like I say, tomorrow, I will get the chance to go see my grandsons play football tomorrow, game time, 9 o'clock. So, yes, I'm going to have to get up and drink the morning coffee and get out and get at it. I look to have a good time watching those little kids play. Well, Until the next time, please enjoy yourself and each other. Take care of yourself and each other. Have a blessed weekend. This is your favorite host and conductor of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, Anthony Smith. Until next time, peace, God bless.